Hi, I'm Dave Swerdlick from Uptown Podcast Studios, located in Uptown Minneapolis, and Story Cub Video Picture Books. If you have kids, head on over to Apple Podcasts and search Story Cub, all one word, story and cub, like a little bear, uh, a ton of free video picture books. Your kids will love it. Uh, but most importantly, let's set all that aside. I am a proud member of Ed North, an EdTech meetup group located in Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. And if you want to know more, head on over to ednorth.org. Again, ednorth.org. Org. Uh, Eric Nelson, the webmaster extraordinaire, is uh, has it all online. I think there's a couple events that are coming up. So uh, if you're in the area, check it out. And the admission price, um, free. So ednorth.org. All right. Special. I say this almost on every show, but this is on... Uh, I'm not going to say special guest. I'm going to say very, very special guest, Randy Fielding. And what an interesting company. Uh, Randy Fielding of Fielding International joins us, and he and his company, they're architects. They build schools all over the world. Great stuff. Awesome guy. What are we waiting for? It's Randy Fielding from Fielding International on the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast. It is another Ed North Ed Tech Podcast, and we are fortunate enough to have Randall Fielding. Is it Randall or Randy? What do you like? What do Call you me Randy. Hi, Randy. Randy Fielding from Fielding International. Any connection there between your name and the <laughs> name of the company? Uh, they're, they're, they're transforming education by design. That's the kind of your motto, your pitch, your tagline. And I had the opportunity to come to your space uh, some months back. And uh, as a member of Ed North... I like to go to Ed North events, and I didn't take the time to actually see what the event was, and I walked in, and I was blown away. It is, Randy, tell us what you do. Well, Dave, we, we are architects, and we're educators, and interior designers, sustainable site designers. We're an interdisciplinary team, and we design school facilities all over the world. So when I think about schools, and everybody says complain, you know, schools and upgrading, okay, upgrading, upgrading. I think you know what they're going to get the latest smart board. They're going to get the latest tech, this, that. But this with you, they're getting they're getting new buildings. You actually design schools. Uh, yes, we do, and not only new buildings, but we do renovations of all kinds, and we do many. We call them Pathfinder projects, which are small projects projects in order to figure out what's important, what problems are we solving. And then later on, as we do even more complex projects, new buildings and additions and renovations, we're able to build on that experience with the people who are actually using those designs. That is awesome. I uh, The one thing that resonates with me is... Uh 
So we're in Minnesota right now, and when I came to this presentation, I know what again. I didn't know what I was walking into. Uh, your presentation was amazing, uh, and you showed a, a picture of a, a school. I think it was a, a college in Costa Rica, if I'm not mm-hmm, mistaken, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. San Jose uh, and, and, and Avenue uh, Escazoo. Do you know the way? <laughs> um, but but and, and I believe, and, and I don't know why why I remember this. The, Best grossing Starbucks is located right there. Is that, am exactly, I correct on that? Exactly, right on Avenue Escazoo, which is a place that was designed for people to live and work and play right in the heart of their capital city. And there's also housing, right? Uh, yes, yes. There's, uh, you have uh, retail stores on the ground floor like Starbucks, the highest grossing Starbucks in, in the, uh, Central America. And then uh, you also have uh, wonderful restaurants and these plazas where people are out uh, uh, enjoying and then you have different kinds of housing above um, one two three bedroom houses uh, more towards the luxury some of it and That's, then offices all kinds of offices there too speaking of offices so uh, you are a Minnesota startup and yet you have this is your main office correct but you also have offices in Michigan Rhode Island Maryland and Singapore Mm-hmm. Wow. Talk about expansion. Real quickly, uh, I'm going to uh, skip the Michigan, Rhode Island, Maryland for a second. And uh, Singapore. Why Singapore? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, that... Uh we have been doing work in Asia for 15 years. Uh, we're not actually a startup, but this building is new, and that's the building you experienced. And, uh, of course, the, this is the century of China and India and uh, lots of wonderful development and growth uh, in that part of the world. So we've been uh, serving that client group. And one of our most recent clients is Singapore American School, which is one of the top IB, uh, independent schools, international baccalaureate schools uh, in the world. Uh, And 4,000 students uh, right in Singapore, right on the edge of the rainforest. And so we have been master planning there for a number of years. And now we've actually begun the more detailed phase of the design and so we uh, we have an office there and we have one of our uh, principals our partners Isaac Williams uh, lives there and uh, quite a few of our staff people are there for weeks at a time and we're transforming that campus taking out parts adding parts to make sure it really responds to their key learning principles and drivers we'll come back to the u.s in just a second but you know you mentioned china and i used to travel to china many times and i suspect that all the schools correct me if i'm wrong all the schools that you design that are located in china are not uh, are are not taking uh, you're not taking down an old school they're growing they need more schools it's a combination we're doing new buildings and renovations and it depends on the location we're working in five cities in china so now in hong kong kowloon for example there's very little land available so there right. we have been renovating uh, four elementary schools and a secondary school Whereas in other cities like Chongqing, uh, where there's a bit more land, we're doing a new six-story secondary school. In Shanghai, we just uh, converted an old 
clubhouse, like an entertainment uh, center, uh, and we turned it into an early childhood center. Oh, wow. And it's one of the hottest schools in Shanghai these days. It's so exciting because it's a complete paradigm shift, uh, whereas, you know, traditionally you had maybe 40 or 50 kids uh, in a class and yeah. very teacher-directed. Our schools are more learner-centered. They're more uh, bringing out self-directed learners, collaborative learning, creativity and communications. And of course, China and Asia, they want that. Uh, traditionally, uh, countries in Asia were often taking ideas and concepts that were developed in the West and then using that intellectual capital and implementing it well. But naturally, they want to be innovators as well. And so when you want to be innovators, it changes how you teach and learn, and it also changes the spaces that support learning. That's, that's amazing that a Minnesota company, all right, true, you're not a startup, but you're in education. Mm -hmm. uh, you certainly deal with technology. Let's bring it back home because you are currently, I, I, and at the event, I met the superintendent of the Hopkins School District. Mm -hmm. Rhoda Milipiri. One of my daughters went to Hopkins. That school looked amazing. How, is it, how are you transforming th this school? Well, oh. We are here to really help them implement their Roadmap 31, which is this incredible vision for what school will look like uh, 11 years from now. Uh, uh, their core values, uh, for example, include being authentically inclusive, uh, being intentionally adventurous, vigilant equity, love. We're really reimagining what their spaces look like. And the, the key part of our process is first to listen and understand. And so we have been, we, we've talked to uh, Rhoda and the educational leaders, and they have an amazing vision for a more collaborative, creative uh, type of learning. But also we've been doing workshops with their students and with their faculty and even community members, and really hearing about what that vision means. And then the key part of our design cycle is to define what the problem is. Uh, and that's the same with all of our clients around the world. So I'll, I'll give you an example of a reference point. Yeah, when right. I first met you, when you were here in August, I was giving a talk about design for learning spaces in the age of artificial intelligence. So, And the keyword was open, I think. Some other keywords, which is being about relationships. Uh, I mentioned love before as a core value. This idea that teachers, in fact, when they're in more open or collaborative environments, can support each other. And in fact, uh, if we're our environments, instead of bells and cells, that is uh, single classrooms and corridors, which tend to isolate people, in fact, students and teachers are in a more collaborative environment. For example, learning communities of, say, 80, 100, 120 students, they can get to know each other and support each other better. So if you think about defining the problem, what's happening in this age? Uh, the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, has said that we're now in a fourth industrial revolution. And one of the key parts of that is artificial intelligence. And one of the problems people are talking about, such as Yuval Harari, who is a historian, uh, author of uh, uh, Homo Deus and also Sapiens, one of the problems he's defining for this emerging age of AI is the possibility that we'll have an emerging useless class. Algorithms and robots can do a lot of the jobs that we had before. And this is the first 
Industrial Revolution where that's been a problem. Earlier, when Henry Ford came along and we had that, that was really the second Industrial Revolution of mass production, we replaced, uh, eliminated a lot of jobs having to do with horses, blacksmiths, ranches. However, we created even more jobs on the assembly line and with mechanics. The same thing in the third industrial revolution, the one we're coming out of, where we uh, we eliminated a lot of jobs like being a typist, but in fact, we created even more jobs for data entry. That was the age of uh, computerization. This age is more blurring the lines uh, between uh, computers artificial intelligence, which is a form of, of deep learning, and uh, cyber connections, uh, uh, biological connections. So mm -hmm. we're, we're merging people skills and computer skills. And what, what's that going to look like? If we define the problem for new schools as we're des designing for school, for, excuse me, we're designing for students who are going to be successful in this age of AI, they're going to have these different skills than they did before. What will that look like? So, so you're designing for AI, artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. Is that a, a physical change in the school? It's changing how we're teaching and learning because the, the top skills that students will need is they'll need to be able to build relationships. They'll need to be able to build community. That will help us be successful. We're, we need to be able to listen empathetically. We need to be able to communicate well. And those skills uh, will are supported in different kinds of spaces. If you think about what are robots... An algorithm's not so good at. Uh, they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not so good at, at listening, at love, at empathy. They can mimic a certain kind of creativity, uh, and th and that's important. And we're gonna we're continuing to design for that, where you have technology that is allowing students to be in touch with their own feelings, their own thoughts, to maximize their uh, their own productivity. Uh, so, for example, uh, students need spaces where reflective spaces. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I remember you talking about you need open spaces. They're so, so important. However, at the same time, there needs to be some kind of closed spaces where, where two people can just go sit and one-on-one -on -one engage. It's just as important. Those open spaces are great for collaboration and connection, uh, but we also, we not only need spaces where we can interact one-on-one, -on -one, but even by ourselves. Uh, part of what makes us successful is to self-manage, to get to know ourselves, and we need quieter spaces, lower ceilings, softer covers, uh, softer colors, um, softer seating. Um, so, one of the things we see is more and more different kinds of nest or cave spaces that we're designing in schools everywhere. And when we interview uh, kids, this is one of the things that comes up the most. That At school, it, it might be there's a buzz, there's a lot of connections, but they often don't have that opportunity to chill. And, you know, coming home and being able to lay down on the couch, uh, sure. put your feet up is, is something that kids look forward to. A great deal. So these spaces, using Hopkins as an example, and you certainly don't need to disclose anything, are you revamping um, spaces within the school? Are you looking at what the school is now and how you can better the school based on information that we currently have? Uh, 
Exactly. So we're at the master planning uh, phase, and we're looking at nine schools, six elementaries, two junior highs, a high school, uh, and, and we're looking at how can where are the opportunities to renovate, to take uh, areas where you may have. Uh, Corridors and classrooms, which can be isolating and don't necessarily support uh, creativity and communication and collaboration, and in fact, uh, transform those spaces into varied spaces, uh, learning communities, where you have a, a group of, say, four or five teachers, 100, 120 students who can interact and get to know each other better. And, and there are some of those skills, then, that they can develop that are going to be important in this fourth industrial revolution. When I was here uh, at your event, I, I spoke to several people. I also spoke to someone uh, from Blake Schools, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it just so happened I had been speaking with other people about meditation. Mm-hmm. And I I asked him, I said, just out of curiosity, do you use meditation in the classroom? Because there are, it, there seems to be a, a kind of an uprise on meditation. He said, well, let me tell you, uh, just this past week, uh, we had a meeting uh, with all the teachers uh, after school. We got to get together. We got to do all of this. And before we started it, I said, look, at, for the next three minutes, we're just going to chill. We're going to try and get everything that we did earlier today. Let's disengage from what happened, anything, you know, mm-hmm, the stresses mm-hmm. of the day. Let's take three minutes, and then we're going to talk about what we need to talk about. And it was I was really impressed. So would you uh, perhaps design something based on something similar? Yes, and uh, the words we are are hearing and using a lot lately is well-being. So we are indeed designing for well-being as much as what we might be in the past focusing on designing for content masteries. So if we if we look at uh, where education is going, it is shifting more from content competencies to varied competencies. So it includes content. We're, we're able to uh, learn about physics. All right. We're able to learn about literature. Uh, we're able to learn about biology. Uh, but we're also, uh, we have these other competencies such as uh, self-navigating, which includes knowing ourselves and being able to live in a in a, uh, a sense of uh, having a sense of well-being and also cognitive competencies so we can solve uh, problems together. So you're, you're mentioning all these words, but how do these words translate into design? Uh-huh. So uh, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, of where two examples where well-being uh, really came up as an important part of the conversation about the designs. And in both cases, the the ideas really came together after the uh, after the buildings opened, uh, where where we could see the evidence of it. So Strathcona Tweedsmere School uh, is a, uh, a a school just south of Calgary in the Rocky Mountains, and we designed it, it was a uh, a large addition and renovation in there. And when I went up to visit after it was open, the uh, students and teachers said some a surprise was that we. There's an increased sense of well-being. It's all these views to the outside. It's the natural light. It's the softer acoustics. It's the better interior connections. We can see each other, these visual connections. It's more varied spaces. Now, 
that sense of uh, well-being came about by being in an environment that met their needs for, for really varied kind of acoustics, and varied kind of lighting, varied kind of seating, varied kind of colors. Now, when we were initially designing the school, uh, we were talking about those key learning drivers of connections to the outside, okay, of uh, varied spaces, of collaborative spaces. Uh, but we could really see it uh, when it opened. And the same thing happened. I mentioned that school in, in Shanghai where we converted a club. It was actually a, a four-story building, quite a large building, into an early childhood center. And we also uh, really designed the outside spaces intensely and the connections to them. So when you see students there and they're, uh, they can look to the outside and the the natural light and that the, the kind of softness in different spaces that comes from more acoustical absorption, different kinds of furnishing, students sitting on the floor, you have the sense of well-being, and that goes in towards that meditation where when you meditate, you usually find a spot where you can be comfortable and you can be quiet uh, and you have right. some control over your environment. So in the schools we design, we have all kinds of spaces. There are those busy buzz spaces, those sort of piazzas, uh, those spaces, labs, you can make things. But then there are also these spaces where you can be quiet and one, two, sometimes four, six uh, people at once. So when you're talking about sound, acoustics, mm-hmm. which and you brought it up a couple times, like, so I can see it's incredibly important. Are we, are we talking about sound absorption or uh, have you ever used white noise or any kind of uh, technology to actually help in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do use uh, technology sometimes. Uh, um, uh, white noise and, and also distributing uh, the sound in small speakers uh, around the ceiling. But I think one of the areas where we do the most work is in different kinds of absorption. So uh, we'll typically have Four different levels of acoustical absorption in a in a building, and and right here where you are in the Hummingbird Building in Minneapolis, which is our design lab, you can see those four different kinds. So, if you look in the front, uh, you enter. It's a kitchen commons. You enter our office yep. uh, in a common area. It's a welcoming entry, which is what we do for all of our schools, and that's also a, a, a loud area. People coming in, and so you see those deep baffles in the ceiling. Right, they're hanging baffles that really trap the sound, and that would be the highest level of acoustical absorption. And then as you come into our collaborative work studio here, you see that wood ceiling with the, uh, the openings between the wood, and there's acoustical insulation above that. That's a medium level of acoustical absorption. First off, I, I felt very welcome when I walked into your offices, so... So glad to hear that, Dave. I'm serious. At the same time, you're talking about ergonomics. When you speak ergonomics, is it more than just a chair? Because there are uh, people who stand up and work all day and they have gel mat or something underneath Mm -hmm. them or whatever. I can imagine it has to go beyond a chair. Oh, of of course. course. Of course, when we grew up, we were sitting in wood chairs that were very uncomfortable, so uh, it it did keep us awake. How does that work? Where does it where does it go? Well, that's a great question. So there there are many issues of ergonomics, and uh, start with uh, th- this is an uh, I'm going to expand a little bit on ergonomics and expand it to include movement. So we design spaces around movement. The the idea that it's not we're not all static. We're not only not 
only sitting and standing, but we're moving through space. And often, the more we move, the better we feel. Uh, you know, movement has a great connection with, uh, uh, it, it can help with depression, it can help with creativity, it can help with communication. And there's even a gender basis about it. There's a lot of research that will show that uh, boys and young men are more comfortable talking shoulder to shoulder. Uh, so sure. you can, you can um, rather than looking directly, moving, walking, doing a project together. You can, you can look at the research even on a three-year-old baby girl and boy. Often girls will focus on a mother's face and boys might rather focus on a spider moving on the floor because it's moving. Sure. Even if it's black and white, they're less sensitive it's to color. And- yeah. Uh, they, so... Think about that, the idea that we have, we're able to uh, move in different ways. So then you you might start actually with the organization of the space with, uh, we have a whole series of design patterns, 80 of them, that we use in designing schools. And one of them is about interior and exterior vistas tied to movement in the sense when you walk into that kitchen commons that you said you feel welcome, your eye is also drawn towards this uh, collaborative area. So you can see, oh, hey, I see Hui Chang over there. I see Brian over there. And so they might come over and say hi to you. But you can also look out and see how you're connected to the sun. We have a big wall facing the south. Oh, it's an awesome space, yeah. And you can look through and you could even see back to this uh, conference room that we're in now, which has a glass folding wall. And you could look in to see where you were going to be doing this podcast with me. So those vistas to the outside and in actually affect how you move. Now, if you look on the walls on your left, you see a uh, exterior of one of our schools in Saskatchewan with lots of landscape and kids playing. And you also see a picture of high school for recording arts, Hip Hop High, where kids are are chilling and connecting in St. Paul. Now, the light level on those elements is higher uh, and what that does is it draws your eye towards the higher uh, foot candles. Now, I'm going to get back to your answer about different kinds of ergonomics. So, we also have different kinds of flooring. So, there's polished concrete, and you're walking along that, but then there is this... Uh, kind of organic edge of carpet. And that carpet provides uh, acoustical absorption, but also defines that space where most of our designers are working at their uh, tables that go up and down. So ergonomics is going to start with the ability to move, what it feels like to move on that floor, what the light levels are that bring uh, bring you into a space that connect you. And then you get down to all of us have desks that move up and down, that we have uh the, the best chairs we can get. So variety of furnishings is so key. You'll also notice, you may have sat on them, we have these stools, they're called hacky stools, they're wiggly stools. When you sit on it, uh, they have a, uh, a bottom which is curved, so you, you're using your core, it's a bit like a, a yoga ball, in order to move, and this is, this is great for so many people. And great at different times of the day. You may come in in the morning and really be ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit at your computer for an hour and a half. But then you come in, 
you greet people, you're sitting, uh, the, the ability now to move a little bit more and go on that wiggly stool is wonderful. So having that variety. Right now, well, you and I are actually in a conference room, but we have the table in our conference room raised to standing height. We are both standing up. It's the first time I've ever done an Ed North EdTech podcast, standing up. I like it because uh, we can walk around and we're, we're free to walk around. And this, this room happens to be carpeted, which leads me to kind of a, it's a sarcastic question, but uh, can't you just put in like awesome carpet with a huge pad and uh, it would be more comfortable for students to walk around school? In more human countries, there has been some pushback on uh, some fear about uh, microbial growth and carpet, but the newer carpet now, we're we're able to deal with that. Uh, We need to make sure that the moisture conquers uh, content of the concrete is uh, is low enough so that when we apply, when we glue down that carpet, we're we're not having moisture problems. But carpet is great. Not only does it absorb sound, but it's, it absorbs beverages. <laughs> well, uh, you know, modern carpet like you you use in airports is is very easy to clean. Uh, but what I was going to say, Dave, is that it invites students to use the floor more, and. That's great. Uh, it's it's yet another kind of seating, and it, it creates a non-institutional uh, kind of creative seating, uh, and pe- people feel uh, more comfortable sitting on the floor with carpeting. Do you use that a lot? Is that in we in we use uh, carpet in almost every school we do uh, around the world, but it's always varied too. So one of the problems with schools traditionally is that they seem institutional, too much sameness, and. Uh, Contrary to what people think, our modern school designs are not just about open spaces. We have just as many discrete spaces, but way more variety. And that includes variety in the types of spaces, small spaces, those nest and cave spaces, medium-sized spaces for teacher collaboration for student small groups, larger spaces, different kinds of common areas. Uh, And also, we have variety usually four different kinds of acoustical absorption, four different kinds of lighting. And we'll have many different kinds of furnishings, and we're going to have three or four different kinds of flooring as well. So it's not the same. I can see how with technology changing, uh, there's light bulbs that you can easily, with a remote dim or set at a certain color. Uh, Whenever we can, we are using new lighting, which can be much more efficient. And so it's typically LED, but different colors, temperatures. So we're going to have some places is warmer, some closer to sunlight. We're going to use a a direct indirect lighting in some areas where half of the light is bounced off the ceiling and a half is down. So instead of that glary kind of light, it's this sense of lighting up the ceiling above you to give you a more open uh, feeling. Then we're going to use some direct lighting where we're punching out student artwork or murals uh, or brighter colors. So that engages movement. If if at the end of a big space, you see a wall and a deep color with student artwork on it, and we've increased the foot candles there. You really dig deep in. And and, and when you say those numbers, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kelvins, is that, uh, is that right? Yes. People tend to think that what they want is warm light, and that they may say they hate those uh, cold fluorescent lights. But it's there's a difference between Kelvin, which is the temperature of the light, and the color rendition index, which is the quality of it. So those old fluorescents actually could be at a high temperature, uh, uh, and a higher temperature is going to be more like sunlight. 
bright, but they tended to have a poor color rendition index and be yellow and green and make us look a little sickly. <laughs> so now we have the ability to say, I want a 3000 Kelvin LED, which is not, you know, moderately warm, and we can uh, we can all at a very high color rendition index. But we could also we could go for a four thousand uh, Kelvin, and that is going to be a, a brighter uh, light and closer to sunlight. And the ability to dim LEDs and to specify the color of that lighting it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. So you it's can just, put it in, yet still have total control over it. Lots more control. Lot, okay. Yeah, oh. I mean, we're still using different kinds of lighting, so it's not to, it's not that the controls are to the extent that we're going to use one kind of lighting and just change the uh, you know change it through a, a dimmer. Um, we are. Uh, but yes, we have much more control. It's a, fa- a, a wonderful time to be designing lighting. Let's change the subject, if we could, mm-hmm. and learn about your business, okay? What were you doing before you started your so business? So this is, there were uh, a couple of predecessor companies. So uh, I formed an architectural firm uh, back when I was 29 in and, and 1983 in, in Chicago, and we were full service doing schools and churches and synagogues. And uh, uh, it was always about design for learning and community. But for family reasons, uh, we came to Minnesota. My wife has uh, three sisters, and we, we lived near Lake Harriet, and it was a great place to uh to um, launch a family. What it was also was this opportunity when the internet came along uh, in in the 90s that we could work anywhere and also we could share ideas around the world. I, I felt back in Chicago, which is one of the top cities in the world for architecture, that it was also one of the most competitive and cutthroat, that it wasn't as collaborative as I wanted. And I've always loved libraries. Libraries have inspired me. Oh. And so I thought in the 90s, this is the chance where we can have a library of innovative school designs that we all share around the world. And we develop patterns. Uh, so I launched a website called designshare.com, got a patent actually to take architectural plans and abstract that so you could scan lots of them and develop a kind of pattern recognition about what was important in innovative school design. What year was that? Did you get the it was patent? 1998. So that uh, then enabled me to connect more with people all over the world, outside of Chicago, and also to move to Minneapolis, which is good for family. And uh, and from there, I also then got opportunities to design more schools in different places, uh, which... Uh, I, I love designing buildings. So, how do you get this building? Do you chase school? I mean, do you call? No, we 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 have how, a how, we how have a uh, we have a, a a pull rather than a push method. So, uh, I've always believed in sharing content that would help people around the world. I, I've wanted to reinvent schools around the world my whole life since literally since I was in kindergarten. So I published uh, scores of articles and shared uh, scores of case studies. Designshare.com was free to the world, and but. By sharing so many ideas about innovative school design and given hundreds of talks, I then, people would have come to me and given me opportunities uh, to design schools around the world. And as we did that, we began to find wonderful people in different places to work with. So, for example, Isaac Williams and I have been working together for 15 years. We started working together on a high school in Newark. He was with then a New York firm. Oscar. He's the one now, he's a partner in our Singapore studio, and uh, he, he, was, he was in his 20s when I met him, and... Uh, 
you know, I had a had a chance to do some sketches and interact to help make that high school more learner centered. I was so impressed with him. He continued to do work with us. And uh, some years later, he was able to open his own studio uh, in Washington. An- another wonderful architect is Jay Lipman in Rhode Island. He began working with us about 14 years ago. And uh, uh, Jay and I had a chance to design this fabul- fabulous um, uh, Inuit cultural learning center uh, in, uh, in Fox River in the Canadian Arctic. And we had a chance to design Sinarmas World School in Indonesia. And that was incredible. And he has now developed this wonderful, uh, business in Rhode Island and in New York, uh, doing all this work for the schools in Cranston, Rhode Island and Rye, New York and Chappaqua, New York. And, uh, he's a terrific, uh, architect with lots of experience. And, uh, we mentor each other. And then James Seaman, he is the principal in our Detroit studio. We were at one point designing 30 schools in Puerto Rico, and uh, we had, wow. um, we needed help. And so we, we hired uh, six project architects at one point, uh, around a decade ago. And James was clearly a star. He was just such a great guy to work with. And so the way our growth came about is building relationships around the world, not through location, but common interest. All of these people, James and Jay and Isaac, and I had this common passion for learning for learner-centered schools, schools that really celebrated uh, students who could be the heroes of their own story and people who could be collaborative. And they each... They each had their own homes, and they, uh, Isaac, by the way, moved to Singapore with his uh, wife and daughter because uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, and they then attracted fabulous staff. So we have incredible team members. Uh, and while Minneapolis is the headquarter office, we actually have bigger studios, uh, more people in the Detroit and Rhode Island offices. How, how many uh, total employees do you have? We, we have about 30 employees, and or a little less than 30, and then another uh, dozen consultants who work very regularly with us. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's, so I'm looking out at your space, mm-hmm. where we're in the conference room, and I see uh, people, there's computers. Uh, what are they? What are they doing? <laughs> All right. Well, first I, I want to say I, that I, the uh, easy the easy answer is they're designing schools, but they are. I, I, I want to say that uh, some of those empty desks. We we have a couple of our our stars who were, uh, just went to uh, Philadelphia yesterday uh, uh, in Salisbury School District. Uh, they are. Uh, they're doing master planning for a school district there. So our team is traveling all the time. Uh, and uh, speaking of podcasts, Salisbury have uh, the superintendent um, and assistant soup have a wonderful pan, uh, a wonderful podcast called Changing Your Paradigm. Uh, and that's one of the ways we connected with them. But back to your question, Dave. So uh, Brian right here is actually designing a school in Saudi Arabia, a real bright spot in Saudi Arabia. It's, it's a part of KAUST, uh, which is a research and science university, the first co-ed university oh, uh, awesome. in, in Saudi Arabia. And he and I were just there two weeks ago. And uh, you can see some of his work right here up there. That is, uh, that, that is a rendering that Brian did of a school in Chongqing. So he's one of our star designers. And uh, over, uh, let's see, uh, Hui Chang, who uh, sits over there, you would have seen a few minutes ago, 
she is um, she's working on four different projects in Shanghai right now, uh, and then. Um, Kathy and Jessica are involved in some public relations and marketing work because, as I said, our form of marketing is we're not knocking on people's doors, but we're sharing our stories. So yesterday, for example, we had one of our design sessions where everyone, all people are together in our studio. And as Brian shared photographs from our discovery work in Saudi Arabia, Kathy said, wow, that's an amazing photo to illustrate a core part of our process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's this integration. Uh, process is just as important in product. The reason why our schools work and they really support learners is because of that process. And so we're continue, continuing to tell that story. What's, what's the marketplace like, competition-wise? Uh, there are a handful of firms uh, in the world that do the kind of work we do that focus on schools, that do a lot of schools. And we, we keep competing with those so, uh, same firms around the world. Some are much bigger. Uh, most of them are larger than our firm, but we uh, we are unique in that we have really authentically in a, uh, authentically interdisciplinary teams. So, for example, uh, Nathan, who's in Pennsylvania right now, he is an educator. You might have met him in August, and he's really integrated into our team. So all of our work, so for example, at all of our meetings with Hopkins, Nathan Strange is there with us. He's a passionate educator, and he's connected to educational networks around the country. Uh, in Detroit, it's Mike Postumus, who I was just with in Saudi Arabia, or in um, uh, actually uh, Jill Akers uh, in the Rhode Island studio. And so I've, I've worked with her in South Carolina. Sure, we're working together with these uh, with our educators and. They're, we call them learning designers. Uh, we're actually designing learning, and we're doing professional development in order to support the designs we're doing. And even once we do, as we start master planning or visioning, uh, we're often then carrying on, I mentioned Pathfinders earlier, we're actually developing smaller projects that we can demonstrate. They're like minimally viable products. What it's like when we change that learning environment. And so our learning designers are coaching people. Uh, They're coaching staff uh, to use those spaces even before we go out and then spend 50 or 100 or uh, more than 100 million dollars in some cases. So I think what we hear from our clients is we can compete. We're often selected. Uh, We're good architects, but there's quite a few good architects around, but is is because of our ability to listen, our understanding the future of learning, how it emerges. So we give lots of talks and publish articles about really what is the connection between what's happening in society and what's happening in space and architecture. And then our integration with learning designers who are actually helping an educational readiness to use those spaces effectively. So, so it's a, a niche market. Uh, with that said, there are plenty of schools out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to close every everyone you meet you're sharing a lot that to me is the most impressive that you're sharing all this information you're sharing data you're sharing stuff and uh, that's a way to gain trust and that's a way where I can see someone you know what I read I read your article I talked to a couple other people at the school and could we meet uh, is that kind of Absolutely. Everyone is welcome here. That's why we designed our building in in Uptown, uh, Minneapolis, to have a welcoming entry, one of our key patterns to schools, and where you enter in the kitchen. So everyone, 
everywhere in the world when you uh, when you welcome people, you offer them a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a glass of water, and all are welcome here. All of our welcome in all our studios and and all of our engagement processes. So uh, you've been in business for Fielding International uh, has been in business since two thousand and three. Yeah, it was uh, it uh, it was formerly Fielding Nair International, but it's still the same company. We just rebranded recently. I, I learned Fielding International. I learned if you want to have a great name. Put international or worldwide at the end. <laughs> at the end of it, uh, it's, it sounds impressive. But you truly are international. This is not. A, I mean, Singapore. You're doing stuff in China, Saudi Arabia. Um, that, that's Australia uh, as well. Thailand. Uh-huh. Is, is there anything? Spe- Russia. How, how, how do these schools? So these are completely different environments and there are customs let's just say in certain countries uh, or there are certain things in countries that they do in school that they that other countries don't do in school mm. so when you walk uh, you need a I'm assuming you need to customize mm-hmm. for their particular environment because a school is just not a school. You have a school in Minnesota. Is can you just take that same design and 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 bring it down to Australia or something? Like? You can't do that, right? Every school we do is different, and yet it's amazing how much we have in common. Uh, and when we work with schools around the world, we find mostly. We're listening to the same song. We have the same core needs uh, and, and aspirations in terms of... So the key learning drivers are typically very similar, but there's an expression in architecture that God is in the details, and those details are so important. And one of the big drivers is climate. So when we work in hot climates, often it's more about shade. And Great we, example, yeah. That's when we work in colder climates, it's more about bringing the sun in. And that has a huge impact on what the building looks like. Uh, some other key things, so uh, for example, I mentioned Saudi Arabia, you know, having uh, spaces for uh, people to pray. Uh, is, that, that, is important. That, and that's what I was thinking of, actually. Yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, there, uh, Muslim people will pray, uh, it could be five times a day. And so it doesn't mean that there, uh, that there's a mosque, uh, in, in every school. Um, but there are spaces when they can, where they can pray and having, uh, softer colors, spaces where, uh, you can have cushions on the floor, more earth tones, sunlight, uh, Water elements, such as a fountain, are great. That's great for prayer. Now, that's also a super space for reflection. And interestingly, it also can be a good sensory space uh, for people on the spectrum who may uh, need quieter spaces. So we're always looking at what do we have in common? Every school needs these kind of nest and cave spaces and reflective spaces. But some schools also, hey, let's put them near where there's a place to wash hands or let's put them in a place... Uh, uh, which is suitable for prayer, uh, just as one example. That's yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, everyone, all schools need classrooms or need space. I I, I would disagree with that. We actually uh, that size space that you're thinking of that is suitable for twenty to thirty students. We call them learning studios, and we there was a reason why we changed that name because everyone. Just about everyone thinks they're an expert on schools because they went to school. And they all went to school in classrooms. 
So. so while we still want spaces that have doors where you can have a group of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, students in them, classroom model doesn't quite make sense anymore. That was a model where teachers were standing at the front of the rooms and able to deliver content. But we can get content in so many ways. So we're no longer lining up uh, desks in a row. We have spaces for presentations. Students and teachers could give presentations. But they're more flexible. We can rearrange those chairs. We're breaking out and talking uh, rapidly after that. Teachers are are rarely delivering um, content now for more than 8 to 10 minutes at a time. And the research shows that you are going to learn much more effectively if it's an integrated learning when you're hearing talking doing trying and then you're hearing a little bit more and a lot of where you're going to get that content then is from peers and it's from the internet and it's not just and various teachers so but there's also student engagement right so mm -hmm. the the teacher's speaking for eight minutes the teacher speaks for 45 minutes you're going to lose you're going to lose a lot of them i'm guessing sure it may be concise or it, it isn't always concise uh it it's really about uh, communication. I, teachers are more coaches. They're sharing where, where students need it. it. It isn't that they are as much delivering that content. Because you think of teacher laying out a concise lecture about calculus. Well, there are... 100 lectures on calculus online, and it's hard to do that as well if what you're trying to do is just a lecture. What's more important is to be able to help students understand what are their goals. Are they going to take calculus? Are they learning it for pre-med? Are they learning it for engineering? Are they learning because they're passionate about it, or are they stuck on it? How can you help them do self-assessments online so they could be at the level they, they're at and do the kind of problem solving that's responsive to them rather, which is going to be different from the other so, 20 so, people near them. So what, what is the best path for them based on their, uh, on their goals? Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. uh, so let's move on real quick and we're going to wrap things up uh, in just a minute, but uh, we spoke about AI earlier mm -hmm. and, and integration. So where, where do you see the future in school design? Is everybody going to be at home? Because there's a lot of colleges. You don't have to go in. You can just, no, no, you know, well, we, you you know, can just sit, sit in your couch and well, hopefully you're doing something. I'm not saying that's a good thing by any means. Spaces, places where we can connect are going to continue to be important and critical to what it is to be human, to having these places we can connect to, to that face-to-face -face, and that's important uh, with learning as well so and I'll talking about the power of place I can give you an example from some of the latest research on addiction uh, and basically it, it would say that willpower is not going to help you give something up or change it's very difficult to stop let's say you have a, a problem with alcohol I'm going to stop drinking uh, as, as long as there's alcohol that's uh, available in your environment you're very likely to avail yourself of it changing the environment is in fact one of the best ways to change your habits and so being around other people who are socializing who are creating who are learning who are solving problems is a fabulous way to uh, uh, enable any learner of all ages to do more of that, to solve problems. So where is the future of school going? We are together going to be solving the problems of this world. We're going to be making the world better together. And we need each other to do that. And we need to come together to inspire, to help, to love each other, <laughs> really. Is there any current technology that may not be out 
um, that you happen to know about that could help uh, in schools, in the classroom? I, I think one of the areas of technology that is growing and uh, uh, that is going to help is the kind of technology that you see with an Apple Watch or a Fitbit where people can begin to learn about their own uh, their own moods, their own movement, their own heart rate, and helps them become aware of you know, sleep, uh, even a, a level of happiness. And so that as as all of us learn to be able to understand our own needs better, we know whether, is it time to get out of my chair right now and take a walk? Is it time actually for me to be in an environment where I am with other people? Is it so, right. many, so many people will sink down into its uh, lethargy or depression, and they're not necessarily solving the problems or achieving uh, in the way they want to be. And as far as where is the future of schools, I think it's going to be much more fluid connections between schools and work and community. So you, you brought up uh, Costa Rica at the beginning of this. Um, one of the goals at Avenue Escazoo with a Texas Tech uh, Costa Rica University was to integrate not only living, working, and play, but learning right into that community. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to see. It makes sense. Schools are so expensive. Technology changes all the time. But schools, which is a form of technology, changes slowly and expensively. Uh, and so rather than just building more expensive buildings, we want to be able to have kids outside of schools more. And we want them to partner with businesses and even the park districts use all those facilities in our places and have people in communities use the facilities in schools. And this is not a new idea. It's been done before, but there'll be more of it by necessity. And also, you look at one of the big problems in our society. Um, it, you see an aging class and the problems for senior adults is often, it's not just about having enough to eat, it's isolation. So when sure. you can bring senior citizens, for example, into schools, it's fantastic to do reading programs, for example, to read to kids. They're yeah. getting as much out of it as the kids are. So we're designing those spaces to support the community, but also bringing the kids outside. They, kids at the high school level could literally spend half of their time off campus. It means we could have smaller, more efficient schools. This is where the future is going to go. A high school is crazy expensive. But we can do uh, learning hubs, uh, school hubs, which are smaller, which are places where kids can light, have a home base, but then also go out into the community there. And that can be at one-fifth the cost of a, of a major comprehensive high school. Just a curiosity, what's the lifespan, average lifespan, is there of a school? In other words, the school's built in this year. Is there an average? So uh, schools... Uh, Schools are, are, are typically lasting in 20 to 50 years, and we have schools that were built in the 20s that are still in great shape because they were built in a, in a period where there were higher ceilings and more natural light and more use of wood, and there was a, a era of craftsmanship. Schools that were built in the 50s and 60s and 70s that are already not savable because it was an era of uh, uh, it was a poor area of design where people didn't understand the importance of natural light. But I always think of schools, I'm inspired by Finland, where we've uh, consulted, where uh, people design buildings, uh, this is part of the architectural community, to, to last 400 years. 
we want to design buildings so they are going to they are going to last indefinitely. Why not a hundred years? You know, good buildings that they're timeless principles that people feel good. There's a sense of well being in, in buildings, and while the uses might change or vary, uh, this the way you bring light in or the way you create shade, the sense of welcoming entry, this uh, a varied spaces, uh, a good use of acoustics and lighting, all of those things. Those those principles are more timeless. They're always going to be there. So mm-hmm. so you could just do an entire glass building and then black it out or black out the areas that you don't want light. But uh, twenty years from now, you could open up that light. Perhaps uh, maybe I'm way off base, but uh, it seems like uh, are you are you building for the future? A- absolutely, Dave. We uh, uh, we are. We are creating future embracing facilities. I don't want to say future proof because we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what the needs will be in 20 or 30 years, but they're embracing the future and we're using timeless principles. That's why we have 80 different design patterns we work with. Those are a, a pattern is something you can use over and over again. You have a good pattern for a guy about your size, Dave, you use that pattern a thousand times. So we're developing these patterns uh, uh, for schools that over and over again work. And those patterns are a little different, like I said, for an area where you need shade than an area where you need sun. Sure. But most of those patterns are overlapping. 80% of them are the same for schools everywhere. That's fantastic. Uh, Randy Fielding of Fielding International. Randy, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to reach out to you? So, uh, Randy at fieldinginternational.com and you can just you can shorten it of uh, fielding intl and you can see our website which is at fieldingintl.com uh, and also a twitter handle at fieldingintl and we'd love to hear from you uh, and all are welcome to visit as well Rand- Randy Fielding thank you so much for joining us here on the Ed North EdTech podcast my pleasure Dave Well, thanks again to Randy Fielding. I know we just thanked him, but he deserves another thank you. And one more. So thank you, Randy, for being a guest on the Ed North Ed Tech Podcast. So much to learn. Uh, fantastic, fantastic company. If you are an Ed Tech company located in the Twin Cities metro area and you would like to be on the Ed North Podcast or... If you are not in the area and would like your education technology company featured on the Ed North Podcast, email ednorthpodcast at gmail.com. Wow. That's a pretty easy one. It's, again, ednorthpodcast at gmail.com. And for more information on... Everything that's going on with Ed North. There are some events coming up, as I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Head on over to ednorth.org and find out all the information. It's right there. Eric uh, Nelson is the pro webmaster, and he keeps everything all lined up and ready. So ednorth.org, check out local events, and ednorthpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like your company featured on this show. Thanks so much. I'm Dave Swerdlick and looking forward to the next 
Ed North Podcast. Have a good one. Yeah.